When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and solutions for creating more happiness in your daily life. This week, we'll talk about a Try This at Home suggested by our mother, and we'll talk to acclaimed writer and podcaster Malcolm Gladwell about his new book, Talking to Strangers, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister Elizabeth Kraft, who I have been able to see face-to-face quite a bit recently. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yeah, Gretchen, we've been having so much fun doing live shows. Yeah, taking it on the road. And we've got more shows coming up. Um, Kansas City, our hometown. Of course, that's very exciting. Chicago, Providence, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Charlotte, and then Brooklyn. Um, We're so excited. These are so fun for us. Yes, and tickets are on sale for all the shows. Just go to GretchenRubin.com slash events for links to buy tickets. And the VIP tickets go fast. So get those. Yeah. And also, we wanted to say a big welcome to our new listeners who are coming to us from my new CBS This Morning segment. Um, I'm so excited about doing this. It's a minute at the end of every show on Monday of CBS This Morning. And we know that a lot of people have been discovering us because they watch CBS This Morning. So we wanted to say a 
special hello to all of you. Gretch, yeah, I love this. On CBS This Morning, at the end of the show, every Monday, they've got the segment Before We Go, and it is a tip from you about how to be happier, healthier, more productive. Yes, it's so fun to do. You can do a lot in a minute, it turns out, on TV. As Elizabeth, I'm sure you know, it's surprising how much you can pack into one minute of television. So it's a really fun thing for me to do. So welcome, new listeners. And Elizabeth, this week, our Try This at Home tip is an extremely simple and straightforward strategy. It's something that you can probably cross off your list either today or yesterday or tomorrow. (laughs) It came from our mother. She brought this up as a suggestion. And she says that if she needs to make herself feel a little better, if she needs to boost, she takes a shower. Yeah. And this is something that's very popular with many people. But funnily enough, Elizabeth, this isn't something that usually works for you or me. Yeah, well, the funny thing is you and I don't like to take showers. No, I dread taking showers. I put it off as long as I can. Me too. And what I realized, though, is it's not that I don't like the shower. The shower part is fine. I don't like drying my hair. Exactly. That's me too. Exactly. But mom was saying that she finds if she's in a bad mood or just sort of in a funk, she finds that if she takes a shower, by the time she gets out of the shower, she feels like herself again. Well, it's interesting because my daughters, Eliza and Eleanor, both feel this way very strongly. They both love to take showers, which I think is kind of like a teenage young adult thing. But they will often comment on like, oh, I feel better now that I take a shower or I'll feel better. I'm going to go take a shower and that'll, you know, kind of make me feel better. So they really do go to it for this sort of mood altering thing. And I think I do feel better when I take a shower. I dread taking a shower, but I do think This has made me feel like, well, maybe it does have a positive effect that I've just been ignoring because of the hair drying problem. (laughs) Yes. Well, no, what I realized is I'll be in the shower because it's a great time to think. I mean, we always talk about how we often have great creative ideas in the shower. Yeah. Also, I think like, say, if I had a fight with Adam, I think if I take a shower, kind of in the shower, everything balances out again. And I'm like, oh, this really isn't a big deal. Why am I so upset? And then I kind of get out. And I'm reset. Well, I think like anything that shakes you up a bit, whether it's like walking around the block or just even going outside or, you know, doing 10 jumping jacks or whatever, anything that kind of shakes up your environment or puts your body in a different circumstance can help shift your mood. And if you're in a bad mood, it can help lighten your mood. But it's interesting. There is actually research about how feeling cleaner does influence the way we feel and this is something called the Macbeth effect. So mm. if you remember your Macbeth from Shakespeare, Lady Macbeth, there's a very famous scene where Lady Macbeth, of course, who's like this murderous, ambitious woman, is kind of walking around and pretending to wash her hands. And she says, out damn spot. And she's trying to wash and wash her hands because she's blood on her hands, metaphorically. So she's trying to wash the blood off of her hands. And in fact, what studies show is that if you feel dirty, like you've done something immoral or that your kind of your honor is tainted or you feel bad about something that you've done, if you physically wash yourself, you feel better. And so if you have kind of a feeling bad about something or you're like, oh, that was just like an icky thing, Mm. washing, physically washing, even just like washing your hands or brushing your teeth, but then also taking a shower does actually help rinse those feelings away. And then Gretchen, of course, taking a shower before bed can also help you sleep 
And sleep is the cure for everything. Right. Well, it's interesting. If you take a bath or shower, you aid your body to get into the ideal temperature for sleep because it turns out that body temperature is a big um, aspect of sleeping. Because you might temporarily get warmer if you're in warm water, then your body will cool down as soon as you, you know, get out of the water and, and dry off. Um, you don't want to be too cold because, you know, as we all know, a cold shower is a great way mm-hmm. to like sort of jerk yourself into being wide awake. But if you take just sort of a normal shower or bath, that will help your body regulate to the best place to get to sleep. And then, of course, a lot of people find it relaxing just as an activity as well. And so that might help prepare you for sleep. I have a friend who's like the most buttoned up banker type of guy. And one of the surprising things about him is he cannot go to sleep unless he's taken a bubble bath every night. Like if it's 2 a.m. and he's like (laughs) arrived home from an international flight or he's been like working, you know, through the night, he will not go to sleep. He just can't. So part of it is, you know, it can also become part of your nightly routine and it can work on many levels. 2 a.m. bubble bath. I love it. <laughs> you and I are not going to sign up for that, Elizabeth, but no. it's good to know it's an option if we want it. Like many yes. things, this is just good to know that it's a tool in your tool chest. Maybe you're like Elizabeth and me and you don't really like to take showers that much, but it's good to know like, well, if I'm in a mood and I want to try to take control of it, if I want to take a step to try to lift my spirits, what are some of the easy, manageable things I can do? This is something that's pretty easy and manageable, at least if you're at home. Yes, this is a try this at home we can all do. <laughs> yes, it's very attainable. Yes. Let us know if you do try this at home. And does taking a shower work for you? Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode. Go to happiercast.com slash 241 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we've got a low-carb happiness hack. But first, this break. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And, Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job. 
Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com happier. That's StoryWorth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, Gretch, it is time for this week's happiness hack. And this is something your trainer introduced to you. Yes. So I'm going to do like drive-by gold star to Mike, who is the trainer that I work with at the high-intensity gym that I go to, Inform Fitness. And everybody at that gym is super low-carb, just like I am. So we often will talk low-carb topics. And so I walk in one day and they're all a flutter. They're like, oh my gosh, we have the biggest thing to tell you. It's the chaffle. Like, I'm like, what is this chaffle that you speak of? <laughs> C-H-A-F-F-L-E. It is cheese waffle, chaffle. And what you do is you take an egg, a spoonful of almond flour and some shredded cheese, and you put it in an electric waffle iron and they were like, this thing is amazing. You will love it. It's delicious. It's a bread substitute. You can make sandwiches. You can make waffles. Like, it's incredibly filling. You've got to do it. I was so excited that even as an underbuyer, I carefully looked at their brand because I'm like, you know, Mike is a questioner. I'm like, if it's a good enough electric waffle mm. iron for him, it's going to be good enough for me. I don't want to have to, like, research what should I buy. So he bought the ACOC Belgian waffle maker. It was $30. And I bought some almond flour. I've also seen, there's like a $10 one that I've seen people mm. talk about. Fired this thing up. We were on tour. So Jamie and Eleanor actually did it without me because I had told them about it. And they sent me a video like, the chaffle is amazing. <laughs> um, and as soon as I got home, I made one for myself. I've had one or two every single day. They are delicious. It takes like one minute to make. They're super healthy, super low carb. And they're very, very filling. This is the weird thing is everybody comments, it's really filling. So a dumb question, is almond flour low carb? Yes. Almond flour okay. is so low carb. So it's not like regular flour. No. And that's why you use almond flour. I mean, I guess you could use regular flour if you didn't care about the carbs. This was like coming to it from the low carb thing. The more flour you put in, the more kind of bread-like it is. But you don't have to put much in for it to really look and feel like a waffle. I would get the non-stick waffle maker because it's nice if it comes out easily. But they were like, Eleanor ate hers with turkey and kind of had like a turkey waffle sandwich. Mm -hmm. And then they were, you could put guacamole on it. You could put, I mean, there's, it's one of these things where you're like, I could do anything with this. But it's super easy, even for people like you and me, Elizabeth, like mm -hmm. it, it's, yeah, got, it's a low bar for us to say. That, you've convinced me, Gretch. I'm going to order one today. Yeah. And I can't. Underbuyer that I am. Yes. I'm intrigued. Yes. Well, I will put a link to the one that I got in the show notes. But basically, you could get any waffle maker or any waffle maker that you have sitting around. We don't have one. Oh, but, right. Um, but, you know, the chaffle. I embrace it. <laughs> it's like cooking without cooking. <laughs> which is me. Which is what we need. And now it's time for an interview. We are very excited to be talking to Malcolm Gladwell. Now, Malcolm Gladwell's books, of course, are consistently number one New York Times bestsellers, books like The Tipping Point, Blink, Outliers, and David and Goliath. They're all fascinating investigations into surprising new concepts about human nature. Malcolm is also the host of the blockbuster podcast, Revisionist History, and his music podcast, Broken Record. If you're looking for some good podcasts, check those out. I got to know Malcolm several years ago when we were both involved with one of my favorite New York City institutions, the New York Public Library. His latest book is, no surprise, generating a tremendous amount of buzz. It's called Talking to Strangers, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know. 
In his classic style, he starts with the question, what happens when we have to deal with the unfamiliar? He draws examples from the stories of Neville Chamberlain, Bernie Madoff, Amanda Knox, Sandra Bland, and others to illustrate the argument that strangers are not easy. The tools and strategies we use to make sense of strangers are often flawed, and we're often weak in just the areas where we think we're strong. Hello! Welcome! Welcome! Thank you. Yeah. And it's great to have you here in the studio. I always like when we can talk face-to-face. Yes, I'm glad we made that work. Now, Malcolm, your books always seem to anticipate the zeitgeist of what's going on in American culture. What drew you to this subject? Oh, just, I mean, it was funny. I kept looking at all of the kind of controversies that engage us, the sort of high-profile cases, media stories, and it seemed like so many of them were about the same thing, mm. which is two strangers meeting and something going awry that they were all fundamentally about miscommunication mm-hmm. and misunderstanding on some level. You know, Madoff is about that. They they just don't, they don't understand Madoff. He says something and they take it for granted. And Amanda Knox is about that. They don't get that she's just an awkward girl from Seattle. You know, they concoct a whole fantasy about her that isn't true. But then Sandra Bland, which is the signature case of the book, is classic. That's what that is too. The cop thinks that she's a criminal and behaves accordingly. So it's like that idea that in the modern world, that's a becoming more and more of an issue. That was what kind of got me going. Now, when you get intrigued with something like that, how do you know that it's a big enough idea for a book? Do you ever chase something kind of halfway and realize, yeah, you know, this isn't enough for a whole book? Well, you know, it's more like, like this book began with me noodling about deception. Because mm, that's um, a strong theme. Yeah, It's a strong theme in the book. And I began just getting really interested in why is it that we, basically we never catch spies. <laughs> so spies, <laughs> like I have a couple of spy stories in the oh, book. Oh, they're so good. I love the spy stories. But all spy stories are the same, which is you don't catch the spy when the spy is spying. Something random happens years later and you realize, oh my goodness, so-and-so is a spy. You cannot find a spy caught in the act. It doesn't happen. So I was like, fat, like, and also, you know, the fact that the CIA and the KGB with the two agencies, first of all, it could fool each other at will and could be fooled at will. You'd think that if anyone was good at right. detecting someone. So that's sort of where I began. But then I realized I didn't want to write a book about spies. And then I mm-hmm. sort of sat on that stuff for a while. And then I realized, actually, you know what? Spies are part of this larger mm-hmm. issue of our inability to make sense of, to understand someone different from ourselves. Speaking of deception, one of the things I was most struck by was the observation that even trained professionals like FBI agents are only marginally better at telling if someone is lying. I would have thought, you know, oh, they're like a human lie detector. No, they're terrible. So this is really fascinating distinction that the psychologist Tim Levine, to whom I am greatly indebted for this yeah, book. You, you talk about his work a lot. A lot. I think he's a genius. But he breaks it down and says... The issue with deception is that there are certain people who we all get right. He calls them matched senders. So there's a class of people who, when they are lying, exhibit the classic signs of deception. (laughs) And when they're telling the truth, they look you in the eye, their handshake is firm, and they speak with conviction. And when they're lying, they avert their gaze and they get all sweaty and blah, blah. He's like, when someone, you meet someone who is matched, everyone gets them right. We have difficulty with people who are mismatched. Mismatched is Bernie Madoff. Mm -hmm. 
He looks you in the eye, he speaks with conviction, he shakes your hand firmly, and he's lying through his teeth. Or Amanda Knox, who is mm. seems a little weird, isn't mm-hmm. exhibiting emotion in the way that you would imagine, is making out with her boyfriend when you think she should be grieving, and she's totally 100% innocent, right? right? So those two categories of mismatched, we all struggle with. And you would think, so to, Elizabeth, to kind of rework your question, you would think that experts, mm-hmm. that their expertise would manifest itself in that they are good at the hard cases, at the mismatched cases, and they're not. In fact, they may be worse than the rest of us at the mismatched cases. So Levine did these studies with like FBI agents, trained interrogators, police officers, judges, and tested to see whether they were any good at, any better than the rest of us at mismatched cases, and the answer is they are not. Mm-hmm. And that is troubling. So, I mean, I think the lesson for all of us, one, is that we're not good at telling when someone's lying to us, so we should just be aware of that. Another thing that I thought was interesting, just sort of as you live your life, is we think that our expressions are much more vivid and available to other people than they are. Like, you give the example of everybody thinks that we're all living in a Friends episode, where if people are surprised, they look surprised, and if they're scared, they look scared, and if they're angry, they look angry. But then, in fact, people often aren't communicating with their expression, what they're feeling inside, and yet we think that we are. And so there is, again, this miscommunication because I think that I'm giving you a certain kind of information. You're not getting that impression from me. Yeah. Yeah, this is a fascinating thing. So we've been trained by novels, television, to expect Mm -hmm. this congruence between our emotional states and our expressions. Her jaw dropped with surprise. (laughs) Yes. Her Mm -hmm. eyes grew wide with horror. Her face, her mouth hardened into an angry grimace, right? Right. All those kinds of, and I did this fun thing. You mentioned friends. I I had a psychologist analyze the facial expressions of friends. The television show Friends, not your personal Friends. friends. Yes, Yes. (laughs) To, To see whether, when you're watching an episode of Friends, if Joey's mad, does Joey's face look mad? Yeah. And the answer is 100% of the time. And when Mm. Ross is happy, does Ross's face look happy? 100% of the time. That's how actors act. And I think we watch that and we think, oh, that's how we act. And we don't. Yes. You know, sometimes we do, but it's shocking how infrequently our facial expressions match our internal emotional state. Well, it's interesting because I read a study and I was like, well, this is from the Department of the Obvious research. But actually, given what you're pointing out, it makes a lot more sense where they were saying, people really actually think you're friendlier if you smile more. That smiling actually does make people get a (laughs) feeling of warmth and friendliness from you. And I was like, yes, we all get that. But actually, it's really helpful to remember, if I want to show you that I'm feeling friendly, I should make sure that I am smiling because maybe I'm not smiling. Like, I don't think I'm a very smiley person. Mm -hmm. And so now I kind of try to look more friendly and to convey that because— We don't. Yeah, we think we're doing it. The thing is, you may think you're doing it. You may have been delighted (laughs) to see me and assumed you were smiling and your eyes had lit up. And in fact, you could have been frowning. Yeah, because I think I default into watchfulness. Like if I'm in a social situation, I think probably what I look like is watchful, which could also read as judgmental. And so when I had been sort of thinking about this already, and then when I read what you were writing, I was mm-hmm. like, there is this mismatch. Sometimes people are trying to deceive. I'm actually trying to be more transparent. And so this is a way to think about. Yeah. yeah. I tell the story of, in the book of my dad was once on vacation (laughs) with my mom. And this is when he was well into his 70s. And he heard her scream. He's in the shower. He comes running out and he sees a very, very large young man with a knife to my mom's throat. 
And my father, stark naked, dripping wet, 78 years old, points at the man and says, get out now. And the guy leaves. Now, you would think this is probably the scariest moment of both my mother and my father's life. Yes. Yes. I will guarantee you there was not a trace of fear in my father's face. Not because he wasn't Mm. scared. Uh He was totally scared. But my father Ah. was someone who facial expressions did only joy registered on his face. Ah. Never, no negative emotion ever. He just wouldn't show you fear. He just would, wow. he would look at you blankly. I think that's probably why the guy ran. Because he's like, this is, this guy's stone cold. This guy is stone cold. Yeah. You know, but if you didn't know my father, you would think he was indifferent to the fate of my mother. Yes. If you know him, this right. was the light of his life. But, you know, he just, that's just the way his emotions manifest themselves. And this is back to your issue about strangers, strangers. which is since it's your father, you would know I how would. to accommodate that. Or maybe yeah. in a particular culture, you would know this is how people behave properly. But if you're out of your depth, then you think you understand when you don't yeah. understand. And this, this is an interesting point. I think it describes one of the projects of friendship. Mm. What does it mean to be a friend? And I think what it means to be a friend is to become aware of all the ways in which your friend's behavior deviates from expectations <laughs> and yeah. adjust accordingly. Yes. It's also what it means to be a parent, right? Yes. You have to pay attention both to your spouse and to your children and adjust. You know that X happens when Y happens. And so you, and we don't have that. That's the privilege that comes from extended time with someone. Yes. But when you're, you know, when you're interviewing someone for a job and you've never met them before and they seem, you know, indifferent to you, you jump to all kinds of conclusions and it's a mistake, total mistake. Now, my question is, have you changed your own sort of facial expressions going through life with this knowledge? Or do you just sort of hope that everyone will get what you're thinking? Or well, do you judge or do you worry that people are lying to you more often no, than no, you no. did before? Well, I'm a scowler and I'm not about to change my scowling <laughs> because I'm... You embrace it. I'm deeply antisocial and I quite like the idea that people think I'm grouchy. But, um, <laughs> but I, um, in others... Yes, I've thought a lot about this, and I have been trying to discipline myself to withhold judgment Mm. on strangers when I meet them, to understand that I cannot, I have no clue about whether, I cannot jump to a conclusion about whether I like them or they like me, whether they're smart or curious or incurious and dumb or all those kinds of things that we love to decide in the moment. I've I'm trying to stop myself from doing and slow down. Well, it seems like that's one of the points that, to take away from your book, which is on the one hand, there's sort of a tension. On the one hand, you want to accept the fact that you might not be very good at telling if someone's lying to you. So you sort of want to be on the lookout for if there's a situation where you're noticing red flags and not overestimate how good you'd be at that. But on the other hand, you do want to expect the best from people. You do want to have compassion. You do Mm -hmm. want to cut people slack and assume that maybe you don't have the whole picture. You don't understand exactly where someone is coming from. And that basically, overall, we will live happier, more harmonious lives as the world community if we can try to, as you say, not jump to conclusions or think you understand more than you do. Well, this is one of the most important conclusions of Tim Levine, this guy who studied deception and lies, whose work I rely on. Levine says that we have a common misunderstanding that lying and deception are highly prevalent in society. He says they're not. That... 
by and large, when you, once you take, so there are these like lying studies that are done from time to time that say 50% of people tell a lie in a 24 hour period. Yeah. It's like, actually those studies are themselves lies <laughs> because <laughs> they count all kinds of, if you yeah. tell an white untru- lies, white lies, when you tell an untruth in the service of maintaining a relationship, mm-hmm. that's not a lie. And it, most of an overwhelming majority of the lies you and I tell are in the service of maintaining a relationship. Yes. Are you mad at me? No, I'm not. Yeah, right, right. That's right, actually right. better than saying, actually, I'm furious at you, but I think it's going to pass in 10 minutes. Right, right, <laughs> right? right So right. once you take those out, real serious, consequential, deliberate lies are told very, very rarely and are told almost entirely by an incredibly small group of people. Mm-hmm. There are Madoffs out there who are committed liars. And the rest of us, you know, the number of financial advisors out there running Ponzi schemes, really small. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really mm-hmm. small. Right. When you sit down with a financial advisor, it is fair to assume they're telling you the truth. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't practice common sense. Right. And ask them, well, yeah. what is your investment strategy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't give them every mm-hmm. last penny yeah. you own. Right. And if something miraculous happens and they give you perfect 12% returns year in, year yes. out for the, for 50 years, maybe you should say this is a, uh, you know, a suspect situation. But- what Levine's point is that the strategy of believing most people are truthful, of what he calls defaulting to truth, is the right strategy. It means that you will occasionally be misled, but that's a small price to pay for mm. participating in a healthy and happy way right. with the rest of society. If you think the rest of the world is out to cheat you and deceive yes. you, you cannot have a happy life. Yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> just a tiny, tiny example of this is I was like in line to do curbside check-in of my bag and I saw somebody standing there and it looked like there was no line or anything. So I go right to the guy and this guy just yells at me so furious, like you're cheating, you're cutting in line. Like there was this long line. And I'm like, obviously, I'm just being absent-minded and clueless. Like, yes, I should have been paying more attention, but I was like distracted by like, you know, did I have my phone with me? And I just saw the open guy and like started racing toward him as one does. And I was like, just cut me some slack. Like, don't, why are you, why are you so amped up and so angry with somebody who is just clearly kind of, just needs a gentle reminder. And yeah. it just shook me for like, I'm still kind of shaken by it because mm. it just came out of nowhere. And I, I think if he had just been like, hey, you know, <laughs> wake up, um, we're all standing in line. Yeah. I would have been like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And it creates all this, uh, it's just, it's very, very stressful to be in conflict with a stranger. And you see how bad consequences can follow when people get into that state um, and don't understand how to back up from it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a blessing our kind of obliviousness yes. to deceit is a, mm-hmm. is a weird kind of blessing yeah. because it, like I said, it allows us to live these kind of fulfilled. It's why you're quite happy to put your child on a school bus. It's why yes. you'll get on a plane and, you know, and believe that the pilot will get you there safely. I mean, there's all kinds of, it's why you go to a store and you let the person behind the counter count up. Your prescription medication. Yeah, like this, yes. these are all. <laughs> no, you ask directions on the street and somebody, you know, sends you off. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Malcolm, before you go, we ask every guest for a try this at home, like mm-hmm. an idea, a practical, manageable idea, something that somebody could just do as part of their everyday life to be happier, healthier, more productive, or more creative. Um, do you have a try this at home to suggest? I try and spend, uh, have at least an hour a day of absolute silence, of mm. time for no no phone, no nothing in my ears, no just an hour for me to sort of think my thoughts and do you read? No, I don't do anything. I 
I might go for a walk or a run uh-huh. or often it's exercise related, but sometimes it's just walking down the street. Just that I, it diminishes my, you know, I invariably begin stressed out about something and end. I mean, it's the same principle as um, meditation. As meditation. Only I, I don't think you, it's necessary to go that far. I think just a, some quiet time to be with your own thoughts. Well, sort of relatedly, I think it was Twyla Tharp, choreographer, had a practice where from time to time she would cover up all mirrors and she wouldn't look in mirrors. And I think she also did without numbers at certain times. And it's a like just as a way. Oh, to, I love that. Yeah. And that was, you know, to kind of reset her yeah. mind. I think some people, I'm very much like you, I really crave silence. I think some people really need it. And if you don't get it, you might not realize that that's what you're craving because um, there's just so much chatter all the time. Yeah. 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 We're yeah. participating in that chatter all the time right now. And do you set out an hour? Like, is it from six to seven every day or you just find it in the, whatever Usually, your day is? I realize it's why I exercise in order to have an hour of silence. Ah, oh. I mean, I the love only it. way you can, out, you can outrun the noise. <laughs> that's the reason why. I mean, I've been an athlete my a runner my whole life. And yeah. I've often thought, well, why is it that I'm so attracted to running? And I think it is because it's, you literally are running from your problems. That phrase is like, yeah. is a powerful one. Have you read what I talk about when I talk about running? The, you know, I haven't. It's I, really good. And I, I've often wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's so great to have thank, you here. Thank you for having me on the show. so enjoyed reading your book. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you, guys. Coming up, the accountability is kicking in and I report on how I'm doing with my number six theme of the year. Spoiler alert, this is in the form of a demerit. First, this break. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, it's time for demerits and gold stars. Now, we take turns doing demerits and gold stars, and if you have been keeping careful track, you will note that we are flipping this week. Usually, it would be my turn to give a demerit, but Elizabeth asked if she could give the demerit this week, and Elizabeth, why is it that you are in the demerit hotspot this week? Okay, well, Gretchen, um, this is episode 241, and I am supposed to report on how I'm doing with my number six goal. For anyone who doesn't remember, number six (laughs) for me is both... The A1C I want to reach, which is the number that's important to my type 1 diabetes. And then I also want to get to a size 6. And also several episodes ago, you said, oh, I need some accountability. So I was like, okay, we're going to plug in some accountability. You're going to report in in episode 241. Yes, because I had stalled out. I sort of started down the road really strongly. I lost 15 pounds. And then I've kind of stalled out the last few months and, you know, the end of the year is coming. So I'd ask for the accountability of doing a report. Well, okay, the demerit is this. I don't know what my actual A1C is because I had a doctor's appointment where I was going to get my A1C done and I had to move it and I did not reschedule it. So it's been weeks 
mm. of me not going to the doctor. Now, I will tell you that because I knew I was about to give myself this demerit, I did call and schedule the appointment. Okay. Okay. Also, weight-wise, I haven't gone down anymore. So I am still stalled out there. So I am requesting that we move my accountability report for okay. a few episodes. Okay. After um, I at least get it to the doctor. Okay. How about episode 245? Okay. 245. I will give a report. I will have been to the doctor. Whatever it is, good, bad, or ugly, I will report it to you. Well, it's and it's interesting that you don't know your A1C yourself, that you have to get that from a doctor because that is such an important number. It's too bad that you can't, you don't know it yourself. Yeah. Well, it's a blood test, so. I see. Oh, right. Right. Of course. Of course. I'm hopeful that it's going to be in the low sixes. If it's not, I'll be very upset. But okay. We don't know that yet. Okay. So 245, suspense is mounting. Okay. The yes. end of the year is drawing near. At least, though, Gretchen, I will say when we were in San Francisco, I was trying on jackets and I was a size six. Yes. Jacket, I was trying. Yeah, I well, should have taken a picture of that. <laughs> yeah. So I've at least gotten to a size six and something. Yes, yes, yes. Excellent. Good. Okay, you're um, on your way. Okay, what is your gold star this week? Okay, this is also a moment from our tour. We were in Seattle and it was a beautiful day, which was good because we forgot our umbrellas, even though we were going to San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle. I was like, okay, this yeah. was not the tour leg to forget your umbrella, but we had beautiful weather the whole time. And we were out and we were walking around this farmer's market that we stumbled on. And the most beautiful thing was that everyone was carrying bouquets of flowers. Everyone walking up and down the street had a bouquet in their hand of like bright, beautiful flowers. It was like a flower flash mob. It was like it had been planned just for us. Yes. We're like, what is going on? Yes. I've never seen anything like this. Well, and it's funny how it's, the whole, as visitors to the city, you're like, this is the best city in the whole world. Because yes. the atmosphere that is created when everybody's just strolling around carrying flowers is kind of remarkable. We were looking around trying to figure out, you know, what's the deal with these flowers? And we realized that there were bouquets of flowers on sale for $5. Now, $5 is really within yes. reach. That's a great deal for like a big bunch of bright, beautiful flowers. Yes, this was not like a limp, no. sad <laughs> thing of flowers. No. These were big bouquets. Yeah, wrapped in kind of a wax paper. And so anyway, Gold Star to Seattle, the city of yes. flowers. It was a beautiful afternoon, a beautiful atmosphere. To, yes, to walk around. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Take a shower. This is a very manageable try this at home. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our amazing guest, Malcolm Gladwell. You can buy his book, Talking to Strangers, anywhere you buy your books. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, our engineer, Bob Tabador, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And always, if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend. That's how most people hear about our show is because some friend tells them. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And speaking of podcasts, if you're looking for more great podcasts to listen to, consider the other podcasts in the Onward Project, my family of podcasts, Side Hustle School with Chris Gillibo. Uh, happier in Hollywood, of course, Elizabeth, where you're talking with your writing partner, Sarah Fain, about everything related to being happier in Hollywood. 
And Melissa Hartwig Urban's podcast, Do The Thing. You may know about her from Whole30. In episode 19, she talked about how talking to strangers can change ordinary social exchanges into meaningful encounters. So that's a really good discussion if you need a place to start. Also, I recently annotated my book, The Four Tendencies, for Goodreads. So you can look at my notes on the Kindle ebook version or directly in Goodreads if that is fun for you. And you can follow me on Goodreads if you want to know what I'm reading. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Pratt. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us Onward and Upward. So, Gretch, did you put cheese in the chaffle, and what kind of cheese did you use? Um, I just sprinkled in. We had some shredded, I think, cheddar cheese in the fridge, so I just put that in. But I think you can use any kind of cheese. It's like one of the rare times that I'm actually excited to experiment with a recipe. So I'm going to try all different mm-hmm. kinds of cheeses. From the Onward Project. <laughs>